When I was in grade school, uh, my best friend lived down the block. His name was Hollis. And Hollis and I spent every day together during the summer. We'd either be playing sports together, playing video games, or spending some fun, uh, fun bonding time in the jumping off a diving board and down the slide in the swimming pool in his backyard. We had a really great friendship looking back on it. But like any relationship, there were times where we didn't get along, where we had disagreements. And I remember this one time where we had an extended sort of disagreement where we weren't kind of, you know, as fourth graders do, not talking to each other. I can't even remember what it was about. It's probably something around pickup basketball in his driveway or something. Like we didn't agree with something. There was a foul. No, it wasn't. You know, something like that. And we didn't really talk for a few days. Well, in that same time frame, and I don't know whether he did it on purpose or not, but Hollis decided, in conjunction with asking his parents, that he'd have a big pool party and invite a whole bunch of friends over. And guess who he didn't invite? And I remember still riding my bike down the street that day, going by his house and hearing all of the fun and the splashing and the laughter going on in his backyard and feeling totally alone, totally devastated, being on the outside, not being included. Now, in case you're worried about me, I did get over this fourth grade snub about two weeks ago or so, so you don't need to send your cards to me. But why I bring it up, because it doesn't seem like, you know, that big of a deal. But why I bring it up is because I remember that moment 30 plus years later. And there's a reason for that. Even though a pool party snub is not a big deal, when you feel left out, when you feel outside of something that you'd like to be a part of, it's hurtful. You feel lonely, you feel unworthy, you feel like you're missing out. And the thing that I know is that this is not just true for fourth grade pool parties. That every single person in this room and listening online in one way or another has at some point in their lives felt like they were on the outside and have felt the, the difficulty and the sadness that comes along with that. Here's a question for you. Have you ever felt like an outsider with God? I recognize that in a group this large, there are different categories of people, different histories with church and with God. And one of the cool things about North Cross is every single week, Every single week is the first week at North Cross for someone. And for some of those people, it's just the first week at a new church. And for other people, it's the first week at church ever. And in talks with some of the people who some, just like you, who are brand new, they've shared that at times over the years, they wouldn't come to church because they felt like it wasn't for them that because of something they had said or something they had did or some situation with their life history that 
what they understood of God and of church, it couldn't possibly for them, be for them. Now, there are other people who at times have felt outside uh, with God because they've been around Christians and they just don't feel like they're like them. They can't relate. Maybe it's the judgmental Christian who doesn't seem to have a lot of grace and you just don't feel like you can relate to how they're acting or how they're reacting to something. Or maybe it's being in a small group or getting to know some Christians and, and you find out like it just feels like they have the perfect life and the perfect marriage and the perfect family. And if you had to choose a word to describe your life and family, it would not be the word perfect and you feel like you're just, just different. I think for a lot of people, you can kind of feel a distance from God or even sometimes on the outside when you've been in an extended season of struggle. Maybe it's physical health. Maybe it's mental health. Maybe it's the battle against some sort of addiction that you just want to be done with, but it's really hard and you pray about it and you go to church and you read your Bible, and you pray about it some more, and yet nothing changes, and it gets worse, and you begin to ask questions like, does God even care? And sometimes, and I'll say it, sometimes it leads us to have questions as to whether God is there at all. Feeling like you're on the outside is difficult. Feeling like you are on the outside with God, that can be devastating. And if you've ever felt that way, and I, I firmly believe all of us have it one way or another, if you've ever felt that way, you've come on the perfect weekend. This weekend, we are continuing this series called Christmas Perspectives. And uh, what, we are going, what we've been doing is looking at the birth of Jesus through the lens or the perspective of different people connected to his birth. So last week, we took time unpacking uh, the life of Mary and the news that she was going to be the mother of the Savior. This week, what we're going to be doing is taking a look at Christmas or the birth of Christ through the lens of the shepherds who are in the fields near Bethlehem on the night that Jesus was born. And what I want to do this morning is I kind of want to give you the big idea up front, and then we're going to spend time looking at Scripture and unpacking it and talking about it. But here is the, the big idea that I'd like you to know and take away this morning in connection with feeling like an outsider. It's our first fill-in. Christmas means that there's hope for outsiders. When, when we take a look at the Christmas story, when we take time to unpack it, we're going to find that not only the message of Christmas makes it clear that it's for all people, even outsiders, but even the way that the message came to be, the way the message was proclaimed is a illustration from God that Jesus, that Christmas 
is the perfect celebration for people who feel sometimes like outsiders. So, as I mentioned, we are going to be unpacking Christmas through the lens of the shepherds who are in the fields. And what we're going to do is we're going to turn to Luke chapter 2, his biography of Jesus and his account, the, the most famous account of Christmas. And the thing we're going to be recognizing is that, well, the message that Jesus was born came to some very unlikely people first. So let's turn to Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 8. So, so far in verses 1 through 7, Mary and Joseph, as you probably know, have traveled to Bethlehem for a census. They couldn't find a place to stay, so they ended up staying in a first century stable, which was probably more like a cave, and that Mary had a baby named Jesus. Verse 8, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, because I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. So I don't know how many of you have thought about this or knew this. I know many of you did. But the very first people to receive the message that Jesus was born, other than Mary and Joseph who were there, were shepherds in the fields near Bethlehem. And the fact that God chose shepherds has a special significance, and it's, it's also kind of surprising. So let's talk about the Bible and shepherds for a moment. For most of you, when you think of the Bible and shepherd, who do you think of? Jesus or God. You think of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. You think of John chapter 10, where Jesus said, as he's describing how he acts and how he interacts with his people, he describes himself as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And so most of the time when we think of shepherds, we think of God and we think of, well, positive qualities and traits of shepherds who take care of their sheep and even give up their life for them if needed. As historians study the cultural significance of shepherds in the first century, what we find is that there might be a reason why Jesus was really clear not just to call himself the shepherd, but that I am a good shepherd what we find as historians study these things is most likely that shepherds at the time were considered to be outsiders or outcasts for a couple reasons. Um, first, they were considered to be social outsiders. Uh, they spent literally all of their time in the fields. They did not have a lot of interaction with other people. They had a very difficult job. They were with their sheep all the time. This is why when it comes to Jesus calling himself a good shepherd and he knows his sheep, that would make sense, right? Because they were with the sheep all the time. It was dirty. It, their job, it didn't pay very well. And for some reason, I don't know all the backstory behind it, uh, shepherds also were considered to be dishonest 
they had a reputation for even being thieves. In fact, in rabbinic law, shepherds were not allowed to testify in the court of law because they, the idea was they could not be trusted. This was the stigma around shepherds, social outsiders. They also happened to be religious outsiders. And we could talk a lot about this, but at the very heart of it is this. They were with their sheep all the time, which meant that they weren't able to go to the temple for sacrifices or for the Passover or for Yom Kippur. And so they were considered to be ceremonially unclean and outside the realm of God. They were considered to be outside of God's love and God's grace. Now, just a little bit of a side note. This is quite ironic because these particular shepherds that the angel came to on the night of Christmas or Jesus' birth, they were shepherds in Bethlehem, which was near Jerusalem. And most likely the sheep that they were watching and taking care of were most likely sheep that were used all the time in temple sacrifices. So where they were so close, and yet because of social and religious stigma, they were considered outsiders. And so when God in his perfect wisdom and plan decides, okay, how is this all going to go down? Where is Jesus going to be born? And who's going to get the message first? He didn't choose Herod. He didn't choose a, a king in Rome. He didn't choose the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the high priest. God chose shepherds. An unlikely audience for the first announcement that the Savior was born. And yet, in that choice, we see God giving us a real life example of the words that were shared by the angels. Here they are again, we read them earlier. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Even shepherds, even prostitutes, even tax collectors and sinners. It's for all people, even Gentiles, non-Jews. It's for all people, great joy for everyone. And, and this was a big deal. In part, if you think about Old Testament history, God had a special relationship with the family of Abraham. Why? Because there would be the promise that a savior would come from that family. So God made sure to preserve Abraham's family. But what happened, and this always happens when sinful people become involved, that this special grace that was shown to Abraham's family became amongst Abraham's family as the generations went on, a pride that they were better, that they were the only ones whom God loved, which wasn't true in the Old Testament. And God is making it absolutely clear as Jesus comes in the New Testament that this, this Savior, this forgiveness, this grace that God has is for everyone, regardless of your background or your nationality or whatever you've done. Number two, Jesus' birth was good news 
for all people. We don't know a ton about the specific shepherds who were in the fields that night. We don't know their names. We don't know if they had families. We don't know what struggles they were going through. We don't know what stresses were on their hearts. But if we just generally think of how shepherds were treated, I think one thing that we can know is they didn't get good news very often. That they probably dealt with guilt. That they probably often felt like they weren't worthy, that they weren't good enough. They were considered to be outsiders. And yet, as Jesus, God, chose the shepherds for the announcement of Jesus, we see that Jesus didn't come just for the people who have their lives together. And if you're brand new to church, and if you're not sure whether you fit in here, let me just tell you, This is a group of people who don't always have their lives together. In fact, we are at our best when we're humble enough to admit that we don't have our lives together all the time. When we're in small group and we don't just share the highlight reel, but we share what we're really going through and what we're really struggling with and request those prayers and acknowledge our weaknesses. The message of Jesus wasn't just for people who have their lives together. It was for shepherds. It was for you. Christmas is for me. It's good news. It's so hard, isn't it, to be about the most important part of Christmas in 21st century America? Isn't it? It's a challenge. Every December is a challenge to be focused in on what it's really all about. I like lights. My house doesn't look like this, but I like online finding homes that just like are crazy. And the the thought has occurred to me, like if, if someone came to the United States or let's say an alien from outer space came to earth, okay, and we put them in front of this house or some other house or just ask them to sort of study Americans during the month of December and ask them, through your study, what is Christmas all about? I have no idea. A lot of things, but at least in this picture, I, I don't, I, I, I blew it up. I maximized it on my computer. I don't see any connection to Jesus or a stable or anything like that. Or, or, or how, about, how about our list? What's Christmas is about? You may not be able to relate to everything on this list, but I'm guessing a lot and in two weeks, two weeks left before we get there, and we can feel stressed out, and we can feel um, a little bit of anxiety of whether we're going to get it all done, and I'm not even saying, hear me, that all of this stuff 
is wrong. Really, on its own, none of this stuff is wrong. The, just the question is, why are we feeling potentially so stressed out? And what can we do about it? What can we eliminate? What's not so important? Or how can we get our minds and our hearts in the right place with two weeks left? Because you see, Christmas, the shepherds knew this, it wasn't about a list to get done and it wasn't about things to decorate. What it was at its heart was good news. Christmas is all about news. And do you know what good news does not bring? Anxiety. Do you know what good news does not bring? Stress. Good news brings joy. Good news brings excitement. In fact, in, in the Greek, it's uh, megalon news, mega news, great joy, or great joy, I should say, mega joy, good news of great joy. This is what is ours this Christmas. This is what it's all about. Not about things that get done, but news that there is joy for all people. Then the angel explains a little bit more about it in verse 11. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Are you feeling great joy over a savior being born? I hope so. I will say that over the years sometimes my joy is not as great as what it could or should be because I'm distracted by all those other things we just talked about. You know, sometimes the size of our joy is connected to the understanding of the size of our need. Maybe you noticed I uh, brought a gift here uh, today. I'm not going to tell you how long it took me to wrap this, uh, but longer than I had expected it would. And I want you to just think about this gift sitting under your tree, and it's got your name on it. And, and whether you're an adult or not, whether you care about gifts or not, just pretend like you're excited, okay? And you're wondering, what's in it? Is it a ring? Kind of a big box for a ring, but maybe your husband's trying to throw you off a little bit. Is it a video game, a doll? Is it that coat that you wanted? Um, are there keys in here to a Lexus in the driveway with a bow on it? You're wondering, and it, it gets to Christmas, and you open it up, and inside is this. How many of you have life jacket on your list for Christmas this year? I'm guessing nobody, for a lot of different reasons, especially because it's winter, but, and I'm guessing if this was in the box, you'd be disappointed. Now, different scenario. Let's imagine you're fishing in the middle of Lake Mille Lacs. You're by yourself. Your boat capsizes. And you're drowning. 
and someone way off in the distance throws you some keys for a Lexus. <laughs> or a new diamond ring. Or a coat. You don't care about those things. You're about to die. But if they threw you a life jacket, hopefully one better than this, you'd have great joy because it's exactly what you needed when you were about to die. That's Christmas. We were about to die. No future, no hope, and not all the great Christmas gifts under the tree would have had eternal value or eternal significance. None of those things would, or even still today, will last. But when we were about to die, Jesus was our life vest. And for these shepherds who so much understood guilt because they lived in it every day as outsiders, I'm guessing their joy was mega that night because they don't get a lot of joy, not much good news, and they understood how much they needed a savior, even if they didn't understand all that he would do. This Christmas, understand, number three, that great joy results from an understanding of great need. And our our Christmas celebration needs to start with an acknowledgement that we should rightly be outsiders with God because of our sin. But that at Christmas, God gave us the greatest gift, a life jacket. That we don't need to worry about drowning, but instead because of his life, his death, and his resurrection, just simply by faith, we have life and we have hope and we get to see loved ones who believed in him again and we have eternity to look forward to. And here's the thing, this wasn't just the announcement of the angel. I was thinking about just how Jesus interacted with people during his ministry. You know who Jesus loved spending time with? Outsiders. Notice that? I'll say it this way. Jesus had a heart for outsiders. When no one wanted to touch lepers, who would? Jesus did. When, when people had no time for the blind or the paralyzed who really couldn't bring much to society and so many would just forget about them, who did Jesus spend time with to heal and to talk to and to listen to? The lepers and the paralyzed. When it came to to children who were considered to be less than, Jesus took them and put them on his lap. When it came to people struggling with adultery or having a colored past, Jesus told them that their sins are forgiven. And he even let one woman wash his feet and let her know that God loved her and forgave her. I think of when Jesus rounded up his disciples. He did not choose the best or the most 
significant from a societal perspective, but instead he chose some misfits. I think of Matthew. Huh? He was a tax collector. He was hated by his people. And when Jesus went to Matthew's house to eat with him, here's how the Pharisees responded. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why is he spending time with outsiders and outcasts? And then here's what Jesus said. Because it's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. It's not those who think, I got this, I'm fine, I'm a pretty good person, God must love me. It's not the healthy who think they're healthy that need a doctor. It's those who know they're sick who go to the doctor and ask for help and for healing. And so we come to this Christmas with humility. The humility of understanding that we rightfully should be outsiders. Say it this way. We are more sinful than we would care to admit. And it's uh, our job here at church to remind ourselves of that. Because great joy begins with the understanding of great need. But at the very same time, we are more loved than we could ever imagine. And if you have felt like you're on the outside of God because it feels like he's not hearing you or listening to you or changing the things you want to be changed, I will say, I don't know exactly what God is up to in your life, but I do know this, that it is when we are at our weakest and we are forced to find our strength in him. It is when we recognize that I'm sick and I need help that we more often turn to the one who is our strength, our savior, Jesus. And maybe that's simply what God is doing in your life right now is making it very clear that you need him every single day. So, What about the shepherds? Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host or angels appeared with the one angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord just told us about. So immediately they hurried off, they left their sheep, they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Verse 17. When they had seen him, they went back immediately to take care of their sheep. They went to church. Not a bad thing. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. Think about this. These outsiders just received the best news you could think of, that God loves them. 
And when they heard that news, they could not keep it to themselves. But instead, number four, the good news of Christmas is also too good to keep to ourselves. They went and they spread it to other people. I'm guessing they knew some other people who felt like outsiders. And they were able to tell them, a Savior has come for you. He's going to bring great joy. And again, I don't know that they were able to explain every doctrinal perspective of, you know, Jesus is true God and true man. What they knew is that there was hope and there was forgiveness and there was a Savior. There are still people around here and in our lives who feel like they're on the outside of God's love, the outside of God's grace. We have the opportunity to share that same good news with them. Whether that's taking the moment to just talk about Jesus with them and how he's changed your life, or as we talked about earlier, whether it's just simply inviting them to come and see, come and hear, come and understand that Jesus the Savior has come, not just for those who have their lives together, but has come for all. Jesus, he was born into this world for all people, for you, for me, even shepherds. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we, uh, we recognize that our, our need for help is bigger than we can even imagine. And Yet in your love and in your grace, even while we were at our worst in our sin, you sent your son Jesus to make us a part of your family. Lord, we thank you for that. And as we navigate the next two weeks leading up to this earthly celebration of your birthday, we pray that uh, we are able to, with wisdom, navigate those days so that we are able to keep the focus where it's most important that no matter what we're going through or how we're feeling personally, that the reminder of what Jesus has done, our life preserver, will bring us joy, foundational joy to our hearts and to our lives. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.